five years from now and say, not only have we crafted what these BMPs should be and provided this template, and oh, by the way, this template is not just BMPs grabbed out of the air. It's based on science. All these BMPs were developed based on proven science that they're effective. Welcome to Golf Sustainability, the podcast dedicated to advancing sustainability of the environment and the game of golf for future generations. Hosted by golf sustainability founder, John Fiella. The Golf Sustainability Podcast will feature conversations with industry leaders on the environmental and social issues impacting the future of the game. Let's tee off. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kevin Sunderman, who is the Chief Operating Officer of the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. And today we're going to be talking about the great work they do in the industry, which all goes into helping advance golf sustainability. They're the primary association serving the nation's superintendents and greenskeepers whose tireless work make our enjoyment of the game possible. Kevin, welcome to the podcast and thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Listen, it's the place to start is generally best to have my guests give us give us an overview of kind of your background, your personal journey that's led to your current role as a chief operating officer at the GCSAA. Yeah, so I, I'd say that background takes me all the way back to being a kid growing up in uh, rural Ohio. I grew up playing mom and pop golf courses and developed a passion for the game of golf. But being in rural Ohio, had a background in agriculture. And naturally, when you combine golf with agriculture, you get the career path of becoming a golf course superintendent. So uh, that took me to Ohio State University, where I earned a bachelor's degree in turf grass science. And we can fast forward through a a career of... uh, a little over 20 years um, as an assistant golf course superintendent and a golf course superintendent. Spent uh, the last 18 of those years at a property called Isla del Sol Yacht and Country Club in St. Petersburg, Florida. Great place to work. Uh, Wonderful setting. But an important part of my career as a golf course superintendent was engagement and engagement with the uh, local, state, and national organizations, associations that support our industries. That culminated with the time spent on the National Board of Directors for the GCSAA. Mm -hmm. Um, And every step of the way through that engagement and through being a superintendent, you just learn more about the industry and you learn more about the people in the industry and you just become more and more involved in having the opportunity to serve on the Board of Directors for GCSAA. That opened up my eyes to a potential potential area that I hadn't previously been involved with. And that is really a business focused area, business driven area. And so I actually took, took some time to get an MBA throughout all that process, strengthen up my business background and uh, unexpectedly um, the previous COO, well, unexpectedly to us, I'm sure he had it in his plans, but when Bob Rehnquist uh, retired, it just opened up a door that said, you know what, I think my time as a golf course superintendent 
maybe uh, that time has come to an end. Uh-huh. I've got a new calling here where I can continue to serve the industry at a, at a higher level. So ultimately, that's what brought me on board here to GCSA. I've been here just over a year. I've been excited to be working with the team here. That's awesome. So often in my experience, both in the golf industry and prior to being in the golf industry and in the energy industry, the retail industry, um, very rarely do senior level association execs have the experience of actually doing the job of the people that are their members. And uh, you've done it. So you're obviously very well equipped for uh, your current challenge and future challenges. Yeah, it's it's actually, it's truly a blessing to have that perspective. Sure. Because ultimately we've got an awesome team here that works at GCSA, but the majority of them have never worked on the golf course. They're experts in the fields of education and environment and advocacy and all these different things. But to be able to draw that connection between our members at the facilities and what their needs are and what their perspectives and uh, to be able to connect that point of view with our, our team members that deliver those programs and services, it's really a great opportunity and, and one that I'm, I'm happy to be able to be that, that connection. Yeah. You've walked in your members' boots. So yeah. they, they it, it's going to, there's a certain level of added credibility it is going to give to your, your words and deeds. Tell us about, for those that aren't that familiar with the association, give us a sense for kind of the, the, the scope of uh, the association's activities at a high level. Yeah, so GCSA, we have uh, about 20,000 members uh-huh. in, in approximately 78 countries. Our mission statement says that we're dedicating to serving our members, advancing their profession, and improving communities through the enjoyment, growth, and vitality of the game of golf. Everything that we do within the organization relates back to that mission statement. Part of that, advancing their profession, advancing our members' profession, a lot of that is is Mm education-based, right? We want to provide them education on how to do their job because maybe they went to school and got a bachelor's degree, but that could have been 20 years ago, and things change over Mm -hmm. 20 years. It's trying to make sure that they're provided the, the latest in education, career development opportunities. So that includes certificates, certification programs, different things that can continue, help them continue advancing a, a, across a career path. Environmental programs, we're going to talk more about that here in depth. Advocacy and government affairs and, and, and uh, making sure that the industry is protected. There's also, if you notice that mission statement, we talked about communities, improving communities. And we actually have some programs that are outward facing that aren't necessarily providing benefits to our members directly, but it's engaging engaging communities. And, and uh, we have a program called First Green. Mm-hmm. And that First Green um, is an opportunity where we uh, bring school students to golf courses for education and STEM education to connect what they learn in the classroom to real world application on the golf course. That's just a a small example or a small sampling of the things that we do within the organization, but we try to be there for our members and for the industry to make sure that they have everything that they need to be successful 
and uh, that the industry has what it needs in order to uh, be sustainable, not only as a business today, but into the future. Yeah. When I really like that concept, the first green, that exposure to, to STEM, I think is, is really important. You referenced your mission. Maybe you can tell us in general terms, what are the current goals of the association? And maybe you can give us a little more color around each of those three key pillars that you referenced, uh, education, research, and uh, advocacy. Yeah, so our, our uh, association, we're 97 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you go back to the very beginning, we've always had three pretty strong pillars going to be education, research, and advocacy. And I'd like to actually start with research. Sure. It's, it's the key point, right? The research is twofold. One, it's scientific based. The, the research you, you often think about in a laboratory or test plots where you're trying different things, you're gathering uh, scientific data. Uh, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't, best ways of doing things. But the other aspect of research is data gathering, information gathering, finding out what's being done in the field, where needs are, what works in terms of implementation, where are the hurdles. So we use this data research or this research, whether it's data gathering or scientific research to build education, right? We use that in order to figure out what do we need to teach people where where do we need to go so we use the research to drive education so that education we're educating golfers we're educating owners and most importantly we're educating our members on how to do their jobs to the best of their ability we use all of this then to drive advocacy and advocacy is that that goes down a couple different paths as well you have traditional av- advocacy that you think of in terms of government, mm-hmm. supporting what it is that who we are as an industry, what we do, maybe trying to disprove some myths or get some mindsets into what golf truly is, as opposed to what the perception may be. But uh, advocacy also goes back to the communities and, and letting them know what golf is and, and the asset that we can be in their community, whether they play the game or not. So it, it's that it's once again, it's the research that drives innovation, which drives education, which then allows us to, to communicate on it. That's what's interesting. I I've been familiar with your initiatives in each of those three areas, the way you really tied it together with research being the foundation that drives those two other pillars makes a world of sense. And your environmental profile study, the golf course environmental profile study is just an incredible piece of research. I think the most recent edition of it came out earlier this year and it's in various volumes. I've got a copy of it right here, kind of water use, nutrient use and Tell us a little more about that and give us an overview of that research and how members use it. I could see access to that data alone being a benefit of membership in the association. Yeah, so when I talk about advocacy and environment and all these different areas that are extremely important to our, our members and our association, it's hard to talk about it 
without actually knowing where you're at, mm-hmm. right? You can't go and advocate on something if you, if you don't know if it's real. And this became pretty obvious and pretty evident back in the early 2000s when we kicked off our first phase of the environmental profile. Since then, we've had two more phases. We just, as you alluded to, we just wrapped up our third phase of this environmental profile, which started back in 2005, 2006. Basically, the first phase of that profile set a benchmark. We needed to see how much water we use as an industry, how much nutrients are we applying, what are our pesticide practices, we needed a better understanding of what we're actually doing. And then we needed to to be able to test again with a report card. Uh How are we doing? So how were we doing first go around and how have we improved or not improved, whatever the story may say, how have we responded as an industry since? And this is critical because this has really started to drive research it really drives education and it really drives practices, mm-hmm. right? It's the information we've learned, fortunately, is telling a good story. So, some of the details in that profile would be the fact that since that first phase, uh-huh. golf has reduced its water usage by 29%. We've reduced uh, nutrient inputs. Nitrogen is down 41% since that first go around. Um, Phosphorus is down 59%. And by the way, that nitrogen and phosphorus are key for water quality because as you reduce that and you can minimize any opportunities for those nutrients to make their way into the water source, you have a great opportunity to reduce uh, algae blooms and and things of that nature. Um, We've reduced 54% of the potassium applications. The story goes beyond just that, but best management practices don't maintain at a high level turf that doesn't need to be maintained at a high level. If it's not in the area of play, Uh really need to maintain it to that highest level. And and I'm happy to say that we've reduced the the maintained turf grass acreage Uh since that first go around on average um, 3% less per every golf course is being maintained as, as intensely maintained turf grass. Another good thing to talk about is we've measured our um, implementation of uh, IPM Uh integrative management or pesticide management plans. Um, We're happy to report that 71% of the respondents do have written plans in place. Now we want to get that higher, but ultimately these are the things that, that we're learning through the profile. And, and it points out, one, what is it that we're actually doing? Two, as we implement new practices, we can now test to see how effective those practices are. Mm-hmm. And three, it drives where do we need to gain more research, mm-hmm. learn things, and how do we then teach those new things back to our members? So it's this cycle that just keeps going round and round. Educate implement, measure your success, do it again. I I didn't have an appreciation for the degree to which you look at this as a scorecard. I, I understood the episodic value of it. Okay, here's the current state of play. But 
when you look at these over time, you're really getting a sense for the progress or lack there key uh, dimensions of the impact of the golf course on, on the environment. And I thought about this research as something that you do. I've thought about best management practices as something that you do. I now see how these really are hand in glove, right? Because it then becomes implementing the best management practices that help advance and improve all the criteria on the scorecards. Tell us, uh, this was like a great segue to talk about the BMPs. Tell us about the, the history of the program. I think it's an incredible resource for your, for your members. Yeah, the best management practices really are becoming extremely fundamental in the future of the game of golf. These are environmental-focused practices that we'd like to see every golf course implement in order to make sure that they are reducing any negative environmental impact and, quite honestly, becoming a, a true asset to, the, to every community. If you go back to the early 2000s, Florida really was a trailblazer in this field. Florida, state of Florida put together best management practices for environmental quality mm-hmm. on golf courses. And there were a lot of stakeholders involved with that. It wasn't just golf course superintendents, but the University of Florida and, and IFAS there in Florida, along with the DEP, EPA, the number of sustainability groups. And it create basically a, a manual of these are the things that you should be practicing in order to be environmentally responsible, reduce any negative impact you may have. And as a national association, we saw this and we we started saying, look, this it, it's important that not only Florida does this or not only other areas that maybe have the potential for some negative environmental impacts, but everybody should be doing this. There's value for the entire industry to be doing this. Uh-huh. And so GCSA worked to, to build a national template. These are all the things you should be talking about when constructing best management practices. It's your it's your water plan. It's your drainage plan. It's your turf selection. Why do you select the turf grass that you select? It, it, is it the right turf grass for your property? Um, your pesticide application, your irrigation management, your storage practices, your equipment wa- equipment washing practices in order to make sure this when you wash off your equipment that the petroleum or whatever that might be adhering mm-hmm. to the side of the equipment is not going into the water, right? So mm-hmm. we built this national template of all the things that should be considered, but we recognize the fact that what works in Florida might not apply in Minnesota, mm-hmm. right? And so we built the template and then engaged all 50 states to tailor those templates to their own state. And we kicked that campaign off, and I want to say it was about 2017, with the goal of having all 50 states with their own BMP template completed by 2020. And we're excited to say that we hit that benchmark, but we're not done there. Um, because just because it it applies to the state, that's pretty general. The the phase we're in now is we're trying to get all of our individual facilities to take that state template and really boil it down to make it part of their management plan. Mm-hmm. 
that's important because we want them to put their turf types. We want them to talk about their watering plans and practices and how they make their decisions on whether or not they're going to irrigate. We want them to talk about their scouting practices and all of these things need to go into their management plan when they build their agronomic programs. That's part of your annual plan as program as a superintendent is to Mm -hmm. put together your your program. So use your best management practices to craft your programs, to build your budgets, to really go into the year with a plan on how you're going to operate in almost a Bible of this is what I do. Mm -hmm. With that being said, that's just the start, right? That's the start. The next step is through these best management plans, how do we get people to set goals Mm -hmm. becoming better, Mm -hmm. right? So this is what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to aim to reduce my water um, by 5%. How am I going to do that, Mm -hmm. right? I'm going to aim to reduce my nutrient applications by 5%. I'm going to aim to reduce my pesticide applications, whatever it might be, or it might not always be reduction, but it might be, once again, better practices in terms of, I'm going to now calibrate my equipment every three applications or every single application, whatever it might be, as opposed to whatever they were doing before. It's all about incremental improvement. If we can get the entire industry to drive towards incremental improvement, that what we can do uh, together or what you can do in small steps at a single facility, once multiplied out times 14,000 golf courses, has a huge impact. Yeah, that's awesome. To think that you've made the progress that you've made as evidenced by the golf course environmental profile over the last 10 years, prior to these national templates, state-specific templates being in place, it really bodes well for the type of progress that can continue to be made assuming that there's implementation and application of these state templates in all 50 states. I knew Florida was very active in the BMP program. I didn't have full appreciation for the fact that it was the genesis of it, which is really pretty cool. Now that Florida is my home state, of course, but go ahead, go ahead. And and I do want to, I want to make sure that we recognize that there's some others that definitely had some steps in that direction as well. I know uh, Georgia in the 90s had some se- severe drought situations, and so specifically around water, yeah, um, Georgia was key in water BMPs, um, and then there were others similar to Georgia that really some big trailblazers in this area that have helped us get to where we're at today. Great, and that's an important additional comment. In in, in given my effort to give Florida all the credit. So I'm glad you you clarified that, Kevin. You talked a little bit about where it's headed. What's your sense for where the BMP program is headed? Um, during our last conversation, we talked about validation, recognition, certification. What's Where does this go? I have a sense you have a clear vision for what you'd like this to be five years from now. We definitely have a vision in terms of what we what we see out there as an industry, right? Mm-hmm. It's the things I just talked about is we want everybody on board. 
Mm-hmm. Everybody on board needs to drive towards uh, continual improvement. And we recognize that some people's ability to implement the 900 plus specific BMPs that exist in our, in the manual, mm-hmm. some people can, can do it on a much easier scale than others, but ultimately we want continual improvement. We're not quite sure what it looks like yet, but we want to be able to come back in five years from now and say, not only have we crafted what these BMPs should be and provided this template, and oh, by the way, this template is not just BMPs grabbed out of the air. It's based on science. All these BMPs were developed based on proven science that they're effective. Mm-hmm. We have these BMPs, and now all of these facilities are working towards their implementation. We want to make sure that everybody's driven towards continual improvement because quite honestly, we're not there yet. We've got the roadmap, Mm -hmm. but we need to get people on board. We need to figure out a way to get everybody engaging, not just the top 10%, 20%, but we want everybody to engage, to buy in, to see how significant it is across the board. Ultimately, we feel that it's not enough to be able to say golf has a minimal negative environmental impact. That's Mm -hmm. not a good statement, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's not enough to me to say that golf has a neutral environmental impact. Ultimately, what we're driving towards is the fact that through our BMPs, through the implementation of those BMPs, through integrated pest management, through all of those things, I want to be able to say five years from now, 10 years from now, that golf has a positive environmental impact in your community should want golf courses there. Whether you play the game or not, people should be asking for golf courses to be in their community. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) I believe. I'll, I'll tell you what, that's powerful. In an upcoming episode, I've got a conversation schedule with Brian Horgan from Michigan State University, who's actually done this great quantitative research to try to define the actual benefits of golf courses in in communities. And it's important work. It's a compelling vision, and it's very exciting. And I look forward to following the, the progress of the association. So that's where you want to end up, and it is very compelling and very exciting Although you did also recognize that there are many people who are on the front end just trying to get started. Like, what would your message be to a superintendent who really hasn't paid much attention yet to the manual, to the specifics of BMPs, and he or she was interested in getting started? What would you recommend as their first step? Yeah, it's, first of all, it's just take that first step, whatever it is. So it's, it's watch the webinar or it's open up the manual and just see what's in it. Open the tool. We have this great tool to walk our members through the process of customizing the template to fit their facilities. Make a goal, list it out there that, hey, this week I'm gonna focus on water. Next week I'm gonna focus on my nutrient plan. If you make that, that if you set that goal out there mm-hmm. to one, open up the tool, see what it entails, Two, just to make a plan that each week you're going to tend to another aspect. By the time by the time we get through winter, it'll be complete. Um, and don't just leave it there, but make sure that you revisit it 
mm-hmm. every year as you go through that annual process of building your next year's plan and building your budget, keep that manual on your desk, keep it opened up, make sure you're using it. Don't use, don't hold it to just yourself. Mm-hmm. Use it as a tool to help your entire operation, share it with your team. So with your assistant superintendents or your technicians, share it with your management. Because ultimately, as a golf course superintendent, you are the professional that's responsible for the management of golf's number one asset, and that is the golf course. And make sure that you are taking that professional document to your general manager, to your owner, to your green committee, to your board president, whoever it is, showing them because it's a very professional document and saying, look, we don't just do this stuff willy nilly. There's a rhyme to the reason. So, Uh so going back to your original question, take the first step. It is not, while it might seem intimidating, it is very easy to go through one bite at a time. Uh GCSA is here to be a resource. So our team here at GCSAA, uh, we're happy to help you get started. There's educational webinars There's educational classes. We've got our conference and show coming up in Phoenix Mm -hmm. the last January in in 2024. There'll be content that talks about BMPs there. And stay tuned. There's also going to be Golf's Sustainability Showcase as part of that show where we're talking about the good things that golf has, as well as the opportunities of where we, we are going. So more to come in that space. But yeah. There's plenty of opportunities for those members to engage. GCSAA is here to be a resource. You know what? I love that guidance. Take that first step, whatever makes the most sense to you, whatever you're comfortable with, be it read through the manual, go to a webinar, but get, get started. I think that that's great advice. And I plan on attending the show in January and, now, knowing that there's going to be a golf sustainability showcase, I think that kind of makes it a must on my calendar. So I will, I'll look forward to that. One, one thing you mentioned in your last answer, Kevin, is you talked about the importance of sharing it with general managers and sharing it with others. In all of my sustainability industry experience, which was print, which is principally corporate, it's really just the last year that I'm taking my sustainability experience and bringing it to the golf industry. There is always this perception that being green or being sustainable is going to cost money. Is, is there? You, you talked about the reduction in uh, resource use. Are there commensurate dollars associated with that? Like how how strong is the story for the economic benefits around implementing best management practices? Specifically, when we talk to resources, that's going to, that's going to vary depending on the property. Right. Sometimes if it's significant, if it's simply cutting out some of the products that have been applied, Instantly, you can look at a savings there. And sometimes in order to make that savings happen, you have to reinvest those dollars elsewhere. Uh-huh. So it, it's hard to draw on the budget aspect specifically right. on, the, on the expense side, what that effect's going to be. Like I said, it, it's going to vary on facility. But I, when we're talking about owners and general managers in that bigger picture, though, I do want to talk about the opportunity that 
the this drive towards sustainability and better implementation of resources or conservation, those, those different things, what you do is you're reducing risk. You're reducing short-term risk because you're now implementing BMPs. You're uh, minimizing any negative immediate impact you might have. So you're reducing short-term risk, intermediate risk, as well as long-term risk. Because the risk of doing nothing in this space is more regulation mm-hmm. and more outside opposition to the game of golf. Mm-hmm. So a- as an owner, as a manager, let's talk about reducing risk, short-term, intermediate, and long-term. There's also, you think about the marketability, and we've seen this in all kinds of different industries where there's green initiatives that becomes mar- more marketable. And and that's true for golf as well. Become more marketable because of your sustainability efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we A lot of people talk about future generations, so the, the up and coming generations, this becomes more and more important to them. Mm-hmm. The truth is if you survey all generations, it's more and more important to all generations that we become more aware of our environmental impact and making sure that we have a positive environmental impact. Not only bottom line driven in terms of cutting expenses, that's not the only focus. It's more on the longevity of reducing risk, becoming more marketable, becoming a better neighbor to the community, all Mm -hmm. of those things. But you you think about some of the things that golf does and Mm -hmm. can continue to do and, and can expand upon wildlife habitat, green space and urban areas, water filtration, pollinator habitat. Let's start thinking about all of these things that happen through our environmental initiatives. And it becomes much more than just simply that one, one expense line on the budget. Yeah. That's a, that's a great message. And relating back to my experience in corporate sustainability, the whole subject of kind of reputation risk is a major factor and regulatory is something that's also really important to try to stay in front of as best you can. So thank you for that. The the whole notion of partnerships, this is something that your members can't do on their own. Talk to the kind of uh, partnerships that you think it's going to take to realize this very compelling vision Kevin, that you painted where golf courses are viewed as a positive asset in the community that people actually want to have and embrace? Yeah, so oftentimes our members are the behind the scenes people. They just come to work, mm-hmm. they work hard, they do their job, they're very good at it, mm-hmm. very skilled, very knowledgeable. But we don't always, we're not always good about selling ourselves, mm-hmm. right? promoting the things that we do. It's just, you show up, you provide the golf course and you you don't ask for recognition. You don't tell people what you're doing. You just do it so they can play the game. I forgot to mention that aspect of GCSA. One of the things that we provide is brand value to our members, trying to make sure our members are recognized for their efforts. Uh Those partnerships you, you asked about, that's important because our members aren't the only ones that can be singing this tune and and promoting BMPs and promoting the environmental aspects and the things that we need to be doing. We need everybody that's involved in the golf industry to be, to be promoting this. There's sustainability groups that 
are very good in this space. They have programs lined up for promoting the environmental value of golf courses. But we have industry partners, manufacturers, and distributors that also, once again, they should be singing the same tune and driving towards the same type of improvement. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not enough for our members to just be working towards this. We need everybody in the golf industry to be talking about environmental impact, talking about best management practices, conservation, all of these things. We all need to be on board. We all need to educate ourselves and we all need to be working together to be singing the same tune. It's a, once again, relating to past experience, if, and I sense it's going to be the case here, whether it was the retail industry or corporate industry, this is environmental sustainability is a team sport and uh, you need teams within organizations and you need supporting organizations to make things happen. And it's going to be exciting to watch how your efforts evolve, but also how you're able to coalesce support from others to help you achieve what you've outlined, which is a very compelling vision for the association and your, and your membership. We, we fund a lot of our operations through GCSA, through our philanthropic organization, which is GCSA foundation Mm -hmm. and the foundation. We've got a, a tagline that without the golf course, there is no game or business of golf. And really one of the biggest threats we face on having a golf course is the environmental space. So in order to make sure that we continue to have this game, um, this game, which by the way, is so much more than a game, right? It's, it's a game. It's an economic driver. It has the positive environmental impact, at least when it's managed properly. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's important. So without this, without the golf course, there is no game or business of golf. And so that's, we try to keep that focus there and keep it as a driver for our organization. Yeah. And, and your members are the custodians of these courses. So it, it, it's, they play a massive role in the success of the industry. Kevin, thank you for the insights on the association and where it's headed and it's really interesting to learn more about you in a professional context. The This last part of the podcast is really one of my favorites. It probably is my favorite. And this is where we get to know our guest on more of a personal level. Kevin, you're clearly driven. You were in superintendent who got an MBA, who's now a senior executive in <laughs> your uh, related association, you don't see that often. So I'm wondering what's behind that. What would you say drives you? Um, Ultimately, I just want to make an impact. And and that goes to all things across life, right? I want to make an impact. I want to make a difference. And I, I think one of those key points, one of those things that happen in life that really sets you on that path I had an assistant superintendent who worked for me who who passed away on a, tragically in a car accident on the way home from work one day. And I remember going to his funeral and the outpouring of people that he had touched their lives and the things that they said and what he meant to those people. It's It, it hit me and I said, look, I don't care for the recognition today, but I hope 
when my time is up, I have that same kind of, I've had that impact on people because it, it just meant so much to see what he meant to, to the other people. And, and so ultimately to make a difference, I, w- when I came on board here at GCSAA, um, I shared with the team the fact that as a golf course superintendent, I always felt like I had the opportunity to have an impact on the lives of my crew, my team that I worked with had an opportunity to have an impact on the other employees at the club. If we did our job, they would be successful as well. And ultimately, I had the opportunity to impact the lives of the members that enjoyed playing the game at the golf course. But when I came on board at GCSA, I talked about it with our team. I said, we have the opportunity to not only do what I felt like I could do individually at a single golf course, but now we can impact our 20,000 members to then impact the lives of their coworkers, their golfers, and beyond, right? The communities that we impact. So I truly feel the work that we can do at GCSA can impact the entire world. Yeah, listen, it's there's a definite multiplier effect. There's no question about it. And that's, I find you to be pretty inspiring, Kevin. I want you to know that. I Speaking of inspiration, who's inspired you? When I hear that question, it's hard to pull out a, any, a whole lot of specific names, but you always think back to all the great leaders, that, that the people that have made differences in other people's lives. And whether it's our founding fathers of, of the United States of America or uh, the Martin Luther Kings of the world, and it, it's the people that made just made a difference they uh-huh. step out and they realize that maybe it's not the easiest path but they want to make a difference in people's lives those are the kind of the individuals that inspire me i will say that i'm inspired every day by our chief op, uh chief executive officer uh-huh. uh, ceo here at gcsa red evans uh-huh. anybody that knows Red knows he's passionate knows that he's a go-getter it's great to work with other team members that that are passionate just like that, but ultimately it, it can come in the form of a coach of a team that can come in the form of a religious leader that maybe inspires people on any given day. But ultimately I'm always inspired every day by those small examples of people stepping outside to go the extra mile to benefit other people. That's great. Listen, I, I think that's a great note within which to wrap things up. I, I really appreciate the insights and information that you've shared about the association, where it's headed. And I must tell you, your vision, this whole five, 10 years out, where you want to be, that is a very compelling destination. And it's something that I could see would really galvanize everyone in the association because who would not want to be a part of that? And I, it's going to be a lot of fun watching what you do over the next, over the next five years, Kevin. So thank you very much for being with us today on the golf sustainability podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a a great opportunity to be here and it's not just my vision, but I can tell you the team shares the vision as well. So thank you. And to our listeners, thanks very much for joining us today on this very interesting and inspiring episode of the podcast. 
If you enjoyed the podcast today, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player and make sure you tell your friends about us. We're just getting out of the box with our first 10 episodes and we need help sharing the words. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast and we look forward to you participating in future episodes. Thanks very much and have a good day. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast. Take action on the ideas inspired by this episode. You can find out more about golf sustainability in the show notes for each podcast episode and following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast player, and we'll see you soon on another episode of the Golf Sustainability Podcast.